Hey ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Think It Ain't Illegal Yet. I'm your host, St. Clinton. On this show, we'll be playing some poetry, spoken words, and other things about political and social issues going on around the world, both past, present, and future, which will hopefully make you think. Let Freedom Ring by Monica Renata Read by St. Clinton Upon the grassy fields in front I look at my team of men So battered by the enemy's fire Yet hope still resides within To move forward brings an ounce of fear But this fear shall be overcome For I am a soldier today And I shall fight through the rise and set of the sun an overwhelming sense of pride, a burst of complete relief. My children's children will know their grandfather, and like me, they shall aspire to be. A hero I shall be today, but not only I, you see, for my men and I shall die for this country, so that we may forever let freedom reign. Secret and classified material 
is a member of an organization not named by me, but named by uh, various committees, named by the Attorney General, as I recall, and belonged to it long after it had been exposed as the legal arm of the Communist Party. Uh, knowing that, Mr. Welch, uh, I just felt that I had a duty to uh, respond to your urgent request that before sundown, when we know of anyone serving the communist cause, we let the agency know. Uh, we are now letting you know that your man did belong to this organization for either three or four years, belonged to it uh, long after he was out of law school. Now, I have hesitated bringing that up. But I have been uh, rather bored with your phony request to Mr. Cohen here that he personally get every communist out of government before sundown. Therefore, we will give you the information about the young man in your own organization. Now, I'm not asking you at this time to explain why you tried to foist him on this committee, that you did the committee know. Uh, whether you knew that he was a member of that uh, communist organization or not, I don't know. I assume you did not, Mr. Welch, because I get the impression that while you are quite an actor, you play for a laugh, I don't think you have any conception of the danger of the communist party. I don't think you yourself would ever knowingly aid the communist cause. I think you are unknowingly aiding it when you try to burlesque this hearing in which we are attempting to bring out the plan. Mr. Chairman, well, it's fair to say that he has no recognition, no, no memory of Mr. Welch recommending either Mr. Fisher or anybody else as counsel for this committee. Uh, I will clear the record then, Mr. Chairman, the, Mr. Chairman the, news, the news story on that. Under these circumstances, I must myself have something approaching a personal privilege. Senator McCarthy, I did not know, Senator. Senator, sometimes you say, may I have your attention? May I have your attention? Now, this time, sir, I want you to listen with both. Senator McCarthy, I think until this moment... Just a minute, let me ask, Jim, when you get the news story, the effect this man belonged to this communist-run organization... I will tell you that he belonged to it. Will you get the citations, what are the citations showing that this was the legal arm of the Communist Party and the length of time that he belonged the fact that he was recommended to Mr. Welch. I think that should be in the record. Senator, you won't need anything in the record when I finish telling you this. Until this moment, Senator, I think I never really gauged your cruelty or your recklessness. Fred Fisher is a young man who went to the Harvard Law School and came into my firm and is starting what looks to be a brilliant career with us. When I decided to work for this committee, I asked Jim St. Clair, who sits on my right, to be my first assistant. 
I said to Jim, pick somebody in the firm to work under you that you would like. He chose Fred Fisher, and they came down on an afternoon plane. That night, when we had taken a little stab at trying to see what the case is about, Fred Fisher and Jim St. Clair and I went to dinner together. I then said to these two young men, Boys, I don't know anything about you except I've always liked you. But if there's anything funny in the life of either one of you that would hurt anybody in this case, you speak up quick. And Fred Fisher said, Mr. Welch, when I was in the law school and for a period of months after, I belonged to the Lawyers Guild, as you have suggested, Senator. He went on to say, I am secretary of the Young Republicans League in Newton with the son of Massachusetts governor. And I have the respect and admiration of my community, and I'm sure I have the respect and admiration of the 25 lawyers or so in Hale and Dole. And I said, Fred, I just don't think I'm going to ask you to work on the case. If I do one of these days, that will come out and go over national television, and it will just hurt like the Dickens. And so, Senator, I asked him to go back to Boston. Little did I dream you could be so reckless and so cruel as to do an injury to that lad. It is true he is still with Hale and Dole. It is true that he will continue to be with Hale and Dole. It is, I regret to say, equally true that I fear he shall always bear a scar needlessly inflicted by you. If it were in my power to forgive you for your reckless cruelty, I would do so. I like to think I'm a gentleman, but your forgiveness will have to come from someone other than me. Mr. Welch, 
I'll Does say it hurts. May I say, Mr. Chairman, as a point of personal privilege, I'd like to finish this. Senator, I think it hurts you too, sir. I'd, I'd like to finish this. I know Mr. Cohen would rather not have me go into this. Uh, I intend to, however, and Mr. Mr. Welch talks about any sense of decency. It seems that Mr. Welch is paying so deeply, he thinks it's improper for me to give the record, the Communist Front record, of the man whom he wanted to foist upon this committee. But it doesn't pain him at all. There's no pain in his chest about the attempt to destroy the reputation and they take the jobs away from the young men who are working in my committee. And Mr. Welch, if, if I have said anything here which is untrue, then tell me. I have heard you and everyone else talk so much about laying the truth upon the table that when I heard it's completely phony, Mr. Welch, I have listened to you now for a long time to say now before sundown, you must get these people out of government. So that I just want to have it very clear, very clear that you were not so serious about that when you tried to recommend this man for this committee. But the point is, Mr. Chair, I'd like to say again that he does not believe Mr. Welch's recommendation. Mr. Fisher is counsel for this committee. He had, through his office, all the recommendations which were made and did not recall any of them coming from Mr. Welch. And that would include Mr. Fisher. Well, let me ask Mr. Welch. You, you brought him down, did you not, to act as your assistant? Mr. McCarthy, I will not discuss this further with you. You have sat within six feet of me and could, ask, could have asked me about Fred Fisher. You have seen fit to bring it out. And if there is a God in heaven, it will do neither you nor your cause any good. I will not discuss it further. I will not ask Mr. Cohen any more witnesses. You, Mr. Chairman, may, if you will, call the next witness.
a World War I casualty. With Lucy's originality, I am blues, jazz, and bebop, not to mention jerseys, braids, and hip-hop. I am black history. I am third eye open with 13 righteous numbers, located just under the Mediterranean Sea. You best believe I am black history. I am Zulu and Bantu, Imhotet and Amadou. I am Rosa and Nzinga too. I am black history. I am water hoses and Nile rivers, burning crosses with the courage not to shiver. I am the gold they stole and the griot whose story is being delivered. I am black history. I am oral tradition with a strong drum beat. I am Tupac rapping over miles in South African heat. I am black history. I am Kor, Snick, Julius Nyeri, Tanu, Malcolm, and the ANC. I am freedoms across the sea in the 1960s. I am black history. I am destruction and reconstruction, apartheid and segregation. I am stories of Big Mama and Papa in times of celebration. I am masks from the motherland and African medallions. I am blackface for food on the plate, having them white folks howling. I am black history. I am an inventor, the father of philosophy and math. I tell you when to go and stop and will comb your hair after your bath. I am black history. I am Saul and Barack, Cynthia and Jessica with proud hearts and voices bringing the best from us. And then there's Martin and Mandela with a reminder about love. Garvey and Marley are Pan-African bras. I am black history. I am poetry with a purpose, a pencil to remember. I am big lips, brown skin, and locks, front and center. I am proud. I am strong. I am gifted from generations. I am remembering to always extend my hand to African nations. I am militant, a brother, and believer. I am an uncle. I am an uncle, a role model, and a damn truth seeker. I am teaching one, each one, love, communication. I am black history. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, this is St. Clinton here. Are you a poet or a spoken word artist? Would you like to have your tracks played here? And send it in an audio format to poetry at sandduneradio.com poetry at sandduneradio.com and we'll add it into the rotation. Ooh, Zero two, column two two decimal eight. 
on the notes. Ohm's gimbal check. Pre-burn none. Post-burn left and right primary. RTF interconnect, none. Download options, two ohms to one ohms. If we do go to the one ohms option, no cross speed required after the half delta beam. Ohm helium red test, left and right, off us. GPC, bravos, open. Minus XRTS burn, NA. GPC fill in, one, parent two. This is a critical burn. We have a max tick slip of 10 minutes, one zero minutes. And you can update the tick after two minutes. Latest maneuver time, step A at point two. I repeat, latest maneuver time at point two. Four hours, 54 minutes for an eight minute maneuver. And at point five, four hours, 59 minutes for three minutes. EV2 Houston, we have you loud and clear. EV2 being Steve Robinson, EV1 Soichi Noguchi. Spacewalk officers here in Mission Control say they're go for the depressurization of the airlock. That should begin momentarily. Discovery Houston on the big loop for EVA. We show the pre-brief timer complete. You are go for depressurization. Houston, uh, do you want us to press on, or we could wrap this up now? It's your call. We'll check. Andy, stand by. You did a great job today. Um, it's just been a pleasure for us down here to work with you. Awesome views. Great job. Everything was just perfect. Extra stuff got done. It's just been wonderful working with you today. A real treat for everybody down here. We look forward to another two great EVAs and a great flight continuing. We're going to hand you over to the shuttle room, and you'll be talking to Julie. Okay, Mike, thanks for your support. Uh, we appreciate it very much, and uh, the efforts of Cindy, Matt, Allison, and Deb, and we'll make all this happen. Thanks, Matt. You got me, did you? Go on, Matt. Cindy, Matt, Nelson, and Deb. Bad roll. Well, everyone's smiling. We appreciate all the nice words you have for us uh, throughout DVA. The whole team appreciates that as well. You guys get some uh, rest, get inside safe, get some rest, and we'll talk to you soon. And those of you who have a drinking game that every time I mention aliens can drink now, because ever since that time, we've had, you know, these people who believed that Donald Trump was an alien entity that fed on hate and fear in a kabuki mask that, that looks human and that it invaded the planet in order to eat Americans' fear and overreaction and paranoia and everything else, and then to uh, flee to Venus using secret tunnels that run under the White House once the emotions are gone. And so if the hate started to die down, the entity would do something to gin up the hate again, right? Just to make sure, no, 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 we're never gonna have any peace here by spewing high levels of hate and passion and vitriol into the psychological margins of our society. 
And anytime anybody made an effort to, you know, overcome this using his executive authority and his access to global communications and the ability to manipulate world opinion, those people were totally destroyed. So people were questioning whether Donald Trump was a human being at all. Instead, they think that the aliens came down. We had that long-awaited first contact with Earth. And it certainly would explain a lot, including the fact that he seemed to have a hard time talking and didn't have the language skills to actually read. At least not in English. All those things may be true. It's an interesting thought. Nevertheless, he's got his face carved in stone on Mount Rushmore, and his divine prophecy is um, chiseled into the Statue of Liberty, right? But unfortunately, it's written in Alpha Centaurian, or whatever. So I don't know what it says. I have seen the future, and it is a motor car! It's clear that the order of the elf controls us. We don't control it. Out of the way, Roadhog! <laughs> Atmosphere polluted with microbes and exhaust fumes. Bunch of human beings jabbering, Global intelligence seemed impervious to the human effects upon the ground. Cataracts, skin cancers, the stunted failure of crops, incapable of synthesizing so much ultraviolet light, the mutant scorching of genes and DNA, the breakdown of immunity. For as common sense would indicate, if you were in a confined space, with half a billion cars remorselessly venting themselves of a noxious wind. Someone somewhere would want a window open, no matter what it might bring. The traffic is absolutely terrible. The roads are terribly apparently being dug up, and everyone's in a screaming hurry. Right. And they'll have to do something about it. Right? Okay. 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 Okay
Hey, ladies and gentlemen, this is Sane Clinton. I just wanted to drop in real quick and say thank you for listening to this show. Whether you listen through iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Google Plus, Player FM, or any other way, I just want to say thank you. Yeah. All I ever get is blah 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 blah. All I ever hear is talk and talk and talk. Pass the script because the people need an answer. Well, you greedy bastard, I am sick of your shit. I feel like I'm living here on Orwell's farm, being treated like a piece of meat that's nearly ready to eat. And by eat, I mean vote. What a joke. Vote for you or your chums on the bench with your banterous arguments about public spending, corporate lending, and how much you can scam out of me with your expenses bending. You were bent from the start, you half-arse smart-arse. You'd privatise your granny for half a mil and the blood you've spilt has turned the gulf red. How do you sleep with the 200,000 dead on your conscience and on your head? I see nothing in this nation's politics that fills me with hope, and I have a whole generation with me, and all we've been told is politicians insisting that they're doing a great job, increasing taxing on the working class while they're calling us yobs. Cutting our health service, our funding, our livelihood, demanding my council tax so I'm locked up for good, but expenses, well, uh, that's different. Two grand's no biggie, chill guys, go easy. I needed my second house, you know, for when I'm away at the weekend. Mate, my house doesn't even have two bedrooms, but... You didn't look, you assumed, and now I guess I'm gonna have to pay tax on that too. So don't question me when all I say is I hear blah, blah, blah. Because for all I care, mate, you could be speaking out your ass. It's coming through a hole in the air from those nights in Tiananmen Square. It's coming from the feel that this ain't exactly real, or it's real, but it ain't exactly there. From the wars against disorder, from the sirens night and day, from the fires of the homeless, from the ashes of the gay, democracy is coming to the USA. It's coming through a crack in the wall, on a visionary flood of alcohol, from the staggering account of the Sermon on the Mount, which I don't pretend to understand at all. It's coming from the silence, on the dock of the bay, from the brave, the bold, the battered heart of Chevrolet. Democracy is coming to the USA. It's coming from the sorrow in the street, the holy places where the races meet, from the homicidal bitching that goes down in every kitchen to determine who will serve and who will eat, from the wells of disappointment where the women kneel to pray for the grace of God in the desert here and the desert far away. Democracy is coming to the USA. Sail on, sail on, O mighty ship of state, to the shores of need, past the reefs of greed, through the squills of hate. Sail on, sail on, sail on, sail on. It's coming to America first, the cradle of the best and of the worst. It's here they got the range and the machinery for change, and it's here they got the spiritual thirst. It's here the family's broken, and it's here the lonely say that the heart has got to open in a fundamental way. Democracy is coming to the USA. 
It's coming from the women and the men. Oh, baby, we'll be making love again. We'll be going down so deep. The river's going to weep. And the mountain's going to shout, Amen. It's coming like the tidal flood beneath a lunar sway. Imperial, mysterious, and amorous array. Democracy is coming to the USA. Sail on, sail on. I'm sentimental, if you know what I mean. I love the country, but I can't stand the scene. And I'm neither left or right. I'm just staying home tonight, getting lost in that hopeless little screen. But I'm stubborn as those garbage bags that time cannot decay. I'm junk, but I'm still holding out. You've heard the criticism before that President Obama won't use the phrase radical Islamic terrorism. It appears that the shooter uh, was inspired by uh, various extremist uh, information uh, that was disseminated uh, over the Internet. He hasn't used the phrase before, and as Olivier Knox at Yahoo News points out, Mr. Obama almost certainly won't in the future. Olivier set it up. Well, you know, Gordon, this has come up uh, basically since 9-11. This is a long-running debate about presidential rhetoric about American enemies and the war on terrorism. They boil down to two factors. One is that American presidents are very hesitant to suggest in any way that Islam is a motivating force for this kind of violence. Uh, you know, President Bush was extremely careful to disassociate Islam from the 9-11 attacks, for example. He went to the Islamic Center of Washington, D.C., six days after those attacks to say, Islam is peace. These people have tried to hijack uh, a great religion. The same applies to Barack Obama. What they're trying to do is not needlessly alienate America's Muslim partners and allies in the global war on terrorism, but also they really, really, really don't want to legitimize the, the actions of these kinds of extremists by letting them cloak their violence in religion. But don't our Muslim allies dislike what these guys do in terms of, uh, as President Bush said, hijacking the religion? They absolutely do. The challenge is uh, that sometimes things get lost in translation. Sometimes when a uh, when a when an American politician says radical Islam, uh, some folks in in some of the more uh, uh, orthodox forms of uh, of Islam get offended. In 2006, when George W. Bush started talking about radical Islam um, as, a, as a force behind these kinds of attacks, the Saudi government came out and said, hey, 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 hold on. This is terrorism. It is not Islam. You have to separate the two. But these terrorists at times, right, say they're inspired or directed by ISIS, so they cry out, Allahu Akbar. Absolutely. Absolutely right. There, there is, but there's a difference between letting people uh, claim that they are acting on behalf of a religion and endorsing that claim. And that's the big concern for, for now two American presidents. Um, just because someone says they're acting on behalf of, of God does not mean they are. And presidents have just tried not to legitimize this kind of rhetoric. Interesting. We're speaking with Olivier Knox, chief Washington correspondent at Yahoo News. His piece is called Here's Why Obama Does Not Refer to Radical Islamic Terrorism. All right. So I thought I understood somebody say, too, that by President Obama not calling it this, uh, he's failing to identify the enemy. And that makes it more difficult to defeat. That is a recurring criticism of President Obama's rhetoric on this issue. Uh, Ted Cruz has has said stuff along those lines. But uh, Democratic House member Tulsi Gabbard has as well. There is a strain uh, of this argument that is, look, by not labeling it radical Islamic terrorism, you are failing to diagnose the problem, which means that you will fail to find the cure to the problem. Uh, that's, that's also been running since essentially 9-11. Um, 
the 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 debate uh, ends up being about policies that might target American Muslims, for example. So um, one of the things that motivated both President Bush and now it's Barack Obama is that there have been occasionally some reprisals, some retaliation, some uh, attacks on American Muslims. And they worry that calls, uh, for example, from Donald Trump to ban Muslim immigration to the United States or to uh, surveil uh, all, of, all of the mosques in America, things like that. They worry about those things, uh, targeting individual populations in the United States, the Muslim population specifically in the United States. Olivier Knox, Washington correspondent at Yahoo News. America's First News is online all the time. Follow us on Twitter at This Morning Show. Like us on Facebook or send us an email. This Morning at CompassMediaNetworks.com. here in Mission Control say they're go for the depressurization of the airlock. That should begin momentarily. Discovery Houston on the big loop for EVA. We show the pre-brief timer complete. You are go for depression. Houston, uh, it, do you want us to press on or we could wrap this up now? It's your call. We'll check, Andy, stand by. 
you did a great job today. Um, it's just been a pleasure for us down here to work with you. Awesome views, great job. Everything was just perfect. Extra stuff got done. It's just been wonderful working with you today. A real treat for everybody down here. We look forward to another two great EVAs and a great flight continuing. We're going to hand you over to the shuttle room and we'll be talking to Julie. Okay, Mike, thanks for your support. Uh, we appreciate it very much. And uh, the efforts of Cindy, Matt, Allison, and Zed, and Rolf to make all this happen. Thanks, Matt. You got me there, too. Go on, Matt. Cindy, Matt, Nelson, and Zed. And Rolf. Well, everyone's smiling. We appreciate all the nice words you have for us uh, throughout DVA. The whole team appreciates that as well. You guys get some uh, rest, get inside safe, get some rest, and we'll talk to you soon. Once we talked of civilization, we claimed it was the goal, the grail of our endeavors. We dreamed of a future where we would all taste the sweet fruits of technological progress. Visions of the future. Visions of the future. Eight. The ultimate hope is in people. And I don't believe that people are going to let the machines overrun them. I think people instinctively know their futures are a little bit flimsy or shaky and are going to take care of it. I think they're going to take care of it by instilling values into their children, by electing the right people, by rising them above their prejudices. I think they'll throw the parts of tech that are bad and invasive and destructive and stupid out and take the parts that are good, parts that are good. The technologists are on a mission to the world to give everyone the benefit of information products. They want us all to be consumers in the market of the future. Everybody thinks it's like technology is the answer, like science is the answer, you know, and it's like, it's not, and we should know already that it's not. We've lost religion, we've lost, you know, so many things because we look to science to explain everything to us, you know? I think it makes us as people lazy. You know, because scientists are so caught up, and, and technologists are so caught up in, you know, and and you know, wondering if they could, they don't stop to think whether or not, you know, should they? Should they? Should they? Should they? Should they? Should they? If the future looks like anything, it looks like Singapore. This is the technological city-state, the 21st century fortress town. Singapore calls itself the intelligent island more committed to the future than any other country. Less than three million people taking on the world. There are no homeless, there are no poor, there are no unemployed. The information highway flows right through and everyone has a role. Visions of the future. Visions of the future. Eight. Technology itself is neutral. It's a power for good and a power for bad. For instance, technology unites us. We are all citizens of one world to a much greater extent. But at the same time, it's making us all unequal citizens of that same world. Because those of us who rejoice in the technology can use it and can make it an asset which gives us wealth and freedom and choice will be few, I think. And there will be many who will find themselves, in a sense, impoverished by the technology because they get left behind and they can't keep up with it. 
in the period of a couple of decades, you're going to see major changes. The big question, what does the year ahead hold? We have come to this. Technology designed to set us free, to give a window on the world, has erected bars before that window and closed us in on ourselves. The information revolution promised us greater knowledge, but instead it makes us ignorant, insular and scared. We are on the brink of a revolution which will give us control, exquisite control, of our physical world. I still believe that it's our instinctive desire to save our own race and do the best thing. And I think that we will. Owning a piece of technology does not buy us control of our lives. Though we are told we all can travel on the information highway, the reality is more pedestrian, more familiar and cold. Most of us will just receive. We will passively consume because we do not have the power, the knowledge or the means to move into the fast lane, to join the ones who shape the new. 2008 is the kickoff year. The technology is being developed for the last five years. We're now just about ready to go. We'll kick it off during 2008. So this is a world made for a very fortunate few. The people who are called these days the symbolic analysts, who can work with numbers and ideas and things, and who live in a little, leafy, isolated suburb surrounded by high, spiked gates and guards, who sit there with their little computers and their telephones and deal with ideas and information all over the world. And they don't venture downtown, and they don't use the public transport, and when they do travel, it's in the front parts of international airplanes. Visions of the future. Visions of the future. Eight. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, this is St. Clinton here. I just wanted to drop in real quick to give a shout out to some of the listeners on the show. There's Poet Soul 30, Raising Vibrations, Stutter C, Creative Culture SW, Miss Taylor Ray, Noble Series, Star Fox 55, Kuwaiti British, Leslie Wood, Beatrice, Lauren 2000, Monica Renata, Ryder Die, Ember Gleams Music, Music Means Life, Milk No Sugar, Ishani Jasmine, Awesome Music, Prince Raymond, Deville Stone, Patron Saints of Pop Culture, Jay White, D Angelic Poetess, and so so many more. If you'd like to shout, have me shout you out, just leave a tweet to Sand Dune Radio. Oh yeah, now back to the show. You have the right to remain silent 
The way you speaking got me peeking on that sneak tip. The way I'm tweaking it's got me leaking on that freak tip. The way you moving is the solution to my dry spell. No, this ain't a robbery, but I do have a gun, and I'm not afraid to use it. If you don't come, if you can't come, if you won't come, I will. You gon' make me, you gon' make me put my hand on my gun. You gon' make me put my hand on my gun. All my guns in my pants. Cataclysmic deceptions about Iran. There are few choices more terrifying than the one Mr. Bush has left us with tonight. We have either a president who is too dishonest to restrain himself from invoking World War III about Iran at least six weeks after he had to have known that the analogy would be fantastic, irresponsible hyperbole. Or we have a president too transcendently stupid not to have asked at what now appears to have been a series of opportunities to do so, whether the fairy tales he either created or was fed were still even remotely plausible. The pathological presidential liar or an idiot in chief it is the nightmare scenario of political science fiction, a critical juncture in our history, and contained in either answer, a president manifestly unfit to serve, and behind him in the vice presidency, an unapologetic warmonger who has long been seeing a world visible only to himself. After Ms. Perino's announcement at the White House last night that the timeline is inescapable and clear now, in August, this president was told by his hand-picked major domo of intelligence, Mike McConnell, a flinty high, strong-looking, worrying warrior who will always see more clouds than silver linings, that what everybody thought about Iran might, in essence, be crap. Yet on October 17th, the president said of Iran and its president, Ahmadinejad, I've told people that if you're interested in avoiding World War III, it seems like you ought to be interested in preventing them from have the knowledge to make a nuclear weapon. And as he said that, Mr. Bush knew that at bare minimum, there was a strong chance that his rhetoric was nothing more than words with which to scare the Iranians. Or was it, sir, to scare the Americans? Does Iran not really fit in the equation here? Have you just scribbled it into the fill-in-the-blank on the same template you used to scare us about Iraq? In August, any commander-in-chief still able-minded or uncorrupted or both, sir, would have invoked the quality the job most requires, mental flexibility. A bright man or an honest man would have realized no later than the McConnell briefing that the only true danger about Iran was the damage that could be done by an unhinged, irrational, chicken little of a president shooting his mouth off, backed up only by his own hysteria and his own delusions of omniscience. Not Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, Mr. Bush. The chicken little of presidents is the one, sir, that you see in the mirror. The mind reels at the thought of a vice president fully briefed on the revised intel as long as two weeks ago, briefed on the fact that Iran abandoned its pursuit of this imminent threat four years ago. A vice president who never meant bothered to mention it to his boss. It is nearly forgotten today, but throughout much of Ronald Reagan's presidency, it was widely believed that he was little more than a front man for some never-viewed behind-the-scenes string puller. 
today as evidenced by this latest remarkable historical malfeasance. It is inescapable that Dick Cheney is either this president's evil ventriloquist, or he thinks he is. What servant of any of the 42 previous presidents could possibly withhold information of this urgency and this gravity?
goodbye Ow. From Stratford-upon-Avon in Elizabethan times, William Shakespeare wrote plays men considered sublime, great beauty of metaphor, original and fresh, Elizabethan sonnets of iambic metric mesh. Poet and playwright, thespian of fame, from Stratford to London, plays of great name, kings and commoners, harlots and hags, shrews in Padua who knew not but to nag, poisons and potions to settle old scores, families and feud, Kings engaged in cruel war. The din of great drums, Macbeth marches to battle. A Scottish kingdom for mad tyrants to rule and rattle. Soothsayers pretend both fortune and doom. Royal ladies dream and ghosts haunt castle rooms. Witches stir cauldrons of slimy stank brew. Young couples in forests share love vows anew. Revenge and deception to usurp men of means. Wealthy merchants fall prey to money-mad schemes of Greeks and Romans and medieval life. 